come to chat. Oh, <laughs> We did not plan that, believe it or not. No, we just both didn't know what to say and we rolled with it. <laughs> uh, it worked out for the best, I think. Uh, I'm Jen. I'm Casey. And we're here with our second episode of Chattahoochee, and we will be continuing to examine the burning questions that the people of Yahoo Answers are asking, and by golly, they need answers, and we're going to give it to them. We got all of your emails demanding a second episode after our riveting first one, and we're going to give the people what they want. We can't say no to the people. (laughs) Uh, All right, we're just going to dive right in here with some pretty hard-hitting stuff. So this is in the in the category of education and reference, and the question is, are colleges scamming people with liberal arts degrees? This is a question that is close to home because we went to a liberal arts school. So Casey, what do you think? Were you scammed? Ooh, I was scammed so hard. <laughs> well, to be honest, Bowdoin, even though it's a very expensive college, has a really good endowment, so... I didn't really pay anything. Yeah, neither did I. So it doesn't feel I like mean, a scam. I mean, they fed me for four years. They fed and housed me for, like, no money. So I feel like I scammed them. So, okay, that's a, that's an excellent point. But for people who attend liberal arts colleges but do not get substantial financial aid, mm. so if they're paying a lot out of pocket, are those people getting scammed? Um, I would have to see some figures on this, but I don't think so. I think you can do a lot with a liberal arts degree. Um, you can do anything your heart desires. I mean, I got into grad school with a liberal arts arts degree, so you can do that. Although I feel like if you're asking this question, you also definitely think grad school is a scam. Right. So here, here um, this person has some additional, you know, explanation to their question here. So they say, most people who graduate college don't plan on going to graduate school, including many liberal arts majors. But very so often, (laughs) a psychology major's graduate college, wait, oh no, a psychology major graduates college and cannot find a job because the college didn't tell them that they need a master's or PhD to get a decent job with the type of degree that they have. I personally think that that is a load of baloney because any liberal arts program worth its salt is going to have professors that advise you on like the next steps in your career. Like all of my professors talk to me about my options, going to graduate school, not going to graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's like, oh, they're trying to convince you to come in and they're not telling you that you need to go on for more education to be able to have some kind of career in that field. Yeah, it's definitely, it's up to you to think long-term and make long-term plans and get the kind of education that you need to get the kind of job you want. I mean, search the job market and see what the jobs you want to do require for education and get that education. I am going to play devil's advocate a little bit here because I think there are definitely certain situations where a liberal arts degree isn't the appropriate thing for some people. Uh, Like, for instance, uh, when Noam started his graduate program in physics, there were people coming in from, like, technical technical schools Mm -hmm. that had taken physics classes for every class, you know, physics and math Mm -hmm. all the time for four years, Mm -hmm. whereas he was coming in from a liberal liberal arts background, and that did put him at a disadvantage right off the bat because 
he, you know, we have these distribution requirements that we need to fill if we're at a liberal arts school, and that's the whole point. You know, mm-hmm. you're supposed to try new things and um, get well-rounded. Know, yeah, become well-rounded and take classes that you might otherwise not have taken within your major. Or, well, I mean, outside of your major. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there's definitely... A trade-off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, and it's hard when you're just starting out and you're applying to colleges, you're in high school, you don't really know what you want to yeah. do. Um, I mean, that's tough, but I definitely wouldn't say that it's a scam. Yeah, you just have to kind of know what you're getting yourself into, and if you feel like it might be a scam, then maybe it's not for you. Maybe that's a sign that right, if you are in if, a different direction. Right, if you're feeling skeptical about it, like, hey, why do I need to take all these dumb classes? Yeah. Then... Go to a place where you don't need to take those classes. Yeah, maybe you feel like you know exactly what you want to do and want to kind of focus in on that. And then, yeah, liberal arts wouldn't really be for you. But again, like Jen said, it's hard to really think that long term before your frontal lobe is fully developed when you're 18 years old. Your frontal lobe is not developed at 18 years old. You have a lot more impulses than your self-control can rein in. And maybe you have the impulse to go to Bowdoin and maybe it's going to work out, maybe not. It worked out for us. Uh, I just want to say that the top answer here is... Many, oh, I hate that. Many young women who go to college are really studying to earn a Mrs. degree. It seems to be worthwhile since many young men want a wife who can converse about economics, history, foreign cultures, etc. Rather than just gossip about the neighbors and what the baby did that day. That is a wrong... I mean, you shouldn't... Yeah, that's... That's real dumb. I, I don't even know where to start with that. I just really dislike it and... I feel like this person came from a time machine, started out in, like, 1900, did not progress with the rest of us. I feel like no one has ever been like, you know what, sweetie, I know that you you just want to be a homemaker and have babies, but really you should go to college so that you could have more stimulating <laughs> conversations with your future husband. Like, yeah. It's so sexist. Uh, yeah, I, that sucks. That sucks real bad. <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay, let's move on from that. Yes. Um, okay, here you go, Casey. Um, here's a great question that I know I've asked. Uh, dogs or humans? <laughs> Which one smells better to you? Jen? <laughs> oh, man. I would say that that has to depend on the dog and the human. I can't make, a, I can't make any blanket statements here. Um, there are definitely dogs that I've encountered that smell kind of bad but there are definitely humans i've encountered that don't smell so hot either on the flip side i really like how my my dog sheba smelled yeah like that was a very pleasing smell for me and there are humans that i like how they smell too so i don't know this is this is a tough one i'm gonna go with dogs if i hearken back to i don't think that's a good word (laughs) if i think back mom help me out here was that correct (laughs) email me (laughs) <laughs> Page me. Um, if I go back to the worst smelling human I've ever smelled versus the worst smelling dog I've ever smelled, the human was way worse. <laughs> and if I think of the best smelling dog I've ever smelled and the best smelling human I've ever smelled, the dog was way better. So I'm going to go with dogs. Okay, Jen, let me give you a scenario. We're out in the middle of public. We're at the farmer's market. <laughs> we're, we're tasting samples of kefir. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. Kiefer. Kiefer Sutherland is there. <laughs> no, he's not. Focus. There are dogs and humans all around us. 
I point to a human walking dog 20 yards away from us. Can we see that far? Yeah, that's 60 feet. <laughs> I can, can see, we see that, that far. As long as I have my glasses on, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I point to a dog walking a human 60 yards away. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> A, a visible but not smellable distance away. And I say, Jen, would you rather shove your face into the coat of that dog or into the hair of that person? Which would you choose? You're right. I would choose the dog 100% yeah. of the time. But not just for social reasons. Right? <laughs> no, like, if it's a... If they're both passed out cold, no one's around to see you, you're, you get to choose to sniff one or the other. We're in an empty warehouse now. <laughs> Change of scenery. This is getting a little sketchy. It's just me and you and these two passed out beings. Which do you sniff? Dog, 100%. Yes. I completely agree. And I just thought of this. If you think about it, like humans, if we don't, if we go for a while without bathing, like a person's going to smell pretty gross. Yeah. But dogs can go for a long time without bathing. Yep. And they're not going to smell that bad. They'll just smell like the, their normal selves. So in the apocalypse, which is always in the back and middle and front of my head, <laughs> I would for sure smell a dog before a human because we no longer are showering regularly. Yeah. I think it makes sense because we can catch more diseases from other humans than we can from dogs. So evolutionarily, we've been programmed to like, oh, don't get in a crowded space with many humans because you're going to catch a disease. Yeah, I buy that. Yeah. Um, I used to have a dog named Sasha who smelled real gross because she had a constant ear infection. Uh, she had a yeast infection of the ears. It was gross. She still didn't smell as bad as, like, a locker room. And she she actually sometimes smelled really good when she, like, came in from the rain. Like, I never really got the wet dog I only, trope. I like wet dog smell. I liked my wet dog smell. Yeah. At I least. Think, yeah, I think... You know how there are people that you're just familiar with their scent, and so it doesn't really bother you? But maybe if that scent were on some random stranger, maybe that would bother you in some way? Yeah. Like, I don't really know how to describe that, but I feel like it's just kind of this feeling I yeah, have. Yeah, you have a good association with your own family yeah. dog. Yeah. So, I was I was talking about people, but I think the same <laughs> applies to dogs. Right. Yeah, it depends like, on your actual deep feelings about the creature you are smelling. Yeah, that's true. But I'd for sure, yeah, I'd rather be in a room full of dogs than a room full of people. Just odor-wise. And just for and other reasons. Well, <laughs> humans are your third favorite animal. Did I say that? You said that like the first time I met you. <laughs> you mean the <laughs> second time I met you? Yeah, the second time. <laughs> the first time we met, we did not talk to each other. At all. Then like six months later, we met again and became best friends. <laughs> I rode in her car without a seatbelt. It was great. It was, Okay, that makes it sound like we were both incredibly irresponsible, and the actual situation was, my it was moving day at college, and my parents were like, oh, we need to go across the campus. And but this is a tiny campus, so like it wasn't on any actual roads. And so we were going from the dorm to the dining hall, but all my stuff was like in there, or boxes or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's no room to sit. Mm-hmm. So we were both crouching in this... Like, minivan. <laughs> Crouchy makes it sound worse. <laughs> well, Squatting. Yeah, we, were both, we were squatting in this minivan. <laughs> anyway, we were both very safe. Oh, we're we were not, extremely safe. I, I always wear my seatbelt, and I always make sure my passengers wear seatbelts. I want everyone to know that. By always, she means some of the time. Don't even. <laughs> don't You don't even know what you're talking about, fool. All right. 
Uh, moving on from dogs. Um, okay, so society and culture. Why do so many people still buy into the idea that being in a relationship defines so much of their worth? And the, the subtext here is, I still come across a few young people who think that they are less happy because they are single, or that being with someone makes them more, wor more, something more someone more of a worthy person. I don't personally understand how someone can bring you happiness when your happiness really comes from yourself. What do you think about that? I don't know if I'm really qualified to answer this question because I've never been in like a, a monogamous romantic relationship that I think this person is talking about. But I do think relationships in general, relationships with other human beings, with your family and friends, and even coworkers, teachers, whatever, they are super important. Um, it doesn't necessarily define how, how much you're worth, but we're very social creatures, and if you're put in solitary confinement, you'll go absolutely insane. It's a basic need to have relationships with other people. And I do think that it's probably unhealthy how much focus our culture puts on the one person, like your husband, your wife, whatever, because people die all the time. <laughs> and also just decide not to be in a relationship with you anymore. And if your whole world is wrapped up in one person, then that's pretty scary for you. But I also do understand the appeal of kind of having your whole world contained in one other person. And like that makes that person very special and that's a very special relationship that I can't relate to <laughs> at this point in my life. Um, I'm sure Jen has a different take on this as she is in the most monogamous relationship <laughs> I've ever seen. Uh, most monogamous? I feel like there's like a ceiling here and many people should hit that ceiling. Mm, you'd be surprised. <laughs> All right. Um, so the the question as to why so many people buy into this idea, uh, I don't really know how to tackle this. I feel like, um, so there, there's an inherent like biological drive to reproduce, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think of that as like sort of the, the like the undercurrent, right, and that has progressed into finding someone to be in a relationship with. Um, so it goes from, like, the, the biological urge, like, sort of the social urge. Which we're not, we're not erasing asexuality. Not everyone has an yeah. urge to procreate. Some people choose not to have children. But the average person definitely does yeah. have an urge to procreate and have the upper urge to be in a relationship with someone i suppose right like i think if we if we if humans reproduced via like mitosis like we just cloned ourselves whoop one day mm -hmm. and no other human was involved like would we still would we still have the social structure of relationships that we currently have i kind of think i don't i don't know if we would probably have probably not yeah because a lot of if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective Pretty much our whole purpose of existing is to have children. Yeah. Like, your body kind of thinks that's what it's supposed to be right. doing. <laughs> like, like, if we didn't, if our bodies didn't have that drive, then our species would have died out by now. Right. So, I think that, you know, the, there is a certain expectation for people 
to be in relationships so that they can eventually have children. So that there's this there's this expectation that exists. And since people expect it of you, that makes it seem worthwhile. So that's why this person is asking why it's defining so much of their worth. Uh, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but... I think that's the, I think that's sort of the underpinning of this whole issue and I think the takeaway from it is if you are in a relationship and that makes you happy then that's great if you're not in a relationship and that makes you happy then that's fine and you shouldn't let either being in or not being in a relationship define your worth. Yeah, I think definitely the most stable configuration is to have sort of intrinsic self-worth that doesn't depend on other people and definitely doesn't depend on one other person. Right. Because people, you know, people change, I guess. Like, it's kind of disturbing. Well, people don't really change. People's identity salience hierarchies shift, (laughs) which means basically... You have this hierarchy of identities you have, and maybe one of your identities is a husband, and maybe that's the top priority for a while. But then maybe one of your lower identities of, like, bullfighter decides to jump to the top, and yeah, you're still a husband somewhere, but bullfighter is what's driving you now. And so you run away to Spain. And so then the issue is that when people who are uh, romantically entangled... Or socially entangled. It doesn't have to be strictly with romantic relationships, I guess. When when they have uh, disagreeing salience hierarchies, that's where yeah. things can... When you're not shifting at the same rate. Yeah. Maybe one of you decides, oh, I want to be a mom now. And the other one is like, I still want to focus on my career. Yeah. That can be hard. And it's it, there's nothing... Neither of you is a bad person. Obviously, I've never been in this situation. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm making stuff up. But neither of you is a bad person. And neither of you did anything wrong, but you're no longer compatible. So if all of your worth was tied up in that one person, as, like, as cool as that seems to, like, be such a unit, like, a self-contained unit of two, like, it's not the most long-term stable thing, necessarily. But I do get that, I get the feeling of kind of feeling like, uh, like, you're currently happy being single, but, like, 10 years from now, maybe you won't be, so kind of trying to plan for the future. Right. I get that feeling sometimes. Yeah. And definitely, I mean, there's people who have been married for, you know, 50 plus years, and um, and so I think there are cases where the other person does sort of make up a lot of their worth, but it's in a good way. Like, they're, they've been together for so long and they've enriched each other's lives to such a degree, and their lives have become, like, completely entangled. Mm-hmm. And that's not... I don't think that's inherently a bad thing. No, even, certainly Even not. if... I mean, everything is bound... Every relationship is bound to end at some point or another, where it's... Whether it's by decision um, or, you know, by death or what, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile. Definitely. Yeah, you can say that for any relationship. Like, you can't guarantee that someone's going to be in your life forever, but that's definitely not a reason not to pursue relationships. Yeah. It's a heavy question. That is a heavy one. 
I, I need to like cogitate on that some more. Yeah. Um, let's. Okay. Here you go, Casey. Uh, this anonymous asker asks, I know the drinking age is 21, but what if I'm a rebel? <laughs> Jen? Um, th- there's a lot going on here. So they're implying that, okay, there, there are a variety of, a variety of reasons that people drink under the drinking age. So, you know, before they have reached legal drinking age. And I feel like that's usually like, oh, my friends are doing it. Like I'm in a social situation where drinking is around and I want to be involved in that. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a pretty interesting perspective because I feel like most, um, most people under 21 don't want to drink solely to be rebellious. You know, I feel like the, the tact that this person is taking is kind of unique. Um, but I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, they have to make the decision. If they're feeling rebellious and that's, that's what's, dri- what's driving them, I don't know. They, they are aware of the law and I guess that's, that is the temptation. The, the existence of the law is what wants them, what's, it's what's making them want to drink. I read this differently. I read this as they have other reasons to drink. They're slightly held back by the drinking age, but they're also feeling rebellious. So you think the combination of wanting to and feeling rebellious will push them past their inhibitions? Yes. I drank alcohol once when I was like nine years old. And I was feeling extremely rebellious, and I'm pretty sure that's all that was driving me at the time. Really? Yeah. Slash curiosity. But another thing to note is that that sucked. (laughs) And a third thing to note is that a drinking age is kind of a social construct because it's 21 here, but it's not 21 everywhere. Right. So it is kind of just a law. It's, right. you know, but there is also a reason that it's there, and partly, the part that I'm concerned about is that if you're under 21 and going to drink, if you drink to excess at least, it's going to probably damage your mind and body because your frontal lobe is <laughs> not developed. If there's one thing we want you to take away from this podcast, it's that your frontal lobe isn't developed until you're 26. At least! <laughs> so, be careful out there. Yeah. Also, alcohol is pretty dangerous. Alcohol kills way more people than marijuana. And damages way more people's lives in general. Uh, yet marijuana is less legal than alcohol. Right, like, I feel like if you... If you follow this person's logic to, like, reductio ad absurdum, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, I know it's bad to drink and drive, but what if I'm a rebel? I know oh, mm-hmm. I know that it's not okay to murder people, <laughs> but what if I'm what a if rebel? I'm a rebel? Like, that's, that's not a good that's reason. That's my new motto. <laughs> that's not a good reason to do something. It's definitely not a good reason to do something, but rebelliousness can be good yeah. and it's good to question laws and question yeah. why they exist. Not all laws are just. Right. Right. You should 
you should take into account, you know, why you're rebelling and what exactly you're rebelling against and why that law is in place in the first place. Yes. Before you are like, yes, I should rebel against that just for the sake of rebelling. Hop on to Google Scholar and search a little about what alcohol does to your body and mind. Rebel against any systems that are telling you not to do research and do some research. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, all right. Here is sort of a psychological question, and I think one that can kind of hit close to home here. Is it normal to feel like you can't catch your breath each passing year? And then the person says, I never used to feel this way. It started when I was 24, and now I'm 26. It feels like those two years passed way too fast. Now I feel like this year is already jetting away. Any opinions on this? I definitely have an opinion on this, and I have some advice. Some concrete advice that you can take to the bank. So there's this psychological phenomenon where, as you get older... Time does seem to be going by more quickly because every year that you live, that year comprises a smaller percentage yeah. of your existing life. So when you were one year old to when you were two years old, that was a whole Lifespan. 100% yeah. of your life that far. So it felt like you had a whole other life. And as you get older, that gets less and less true. Like... When you were 24 to 25, that is 4%. Yeah. <laughs> Roughly 4% of the life you've had so far, and that's way less. So it's not just an illusion. It's Time is kind of speeding up for you, and that's kind of scary. However, there are things you can do to combat this because another reason as you get older – Time seems to go by more quickly, and especially in your early 20s. Using your early 20s, you're getting your first, like, steady job where you're working all year round. Up to then, you've been in school. You've had oh, a yeah. school year, a summer, breaks, taking different classes and different subjects. Now you're probably going to the same job every day and doing the same thing, coming home, eating dinner, watching TV, and going to bed. And when your mind experiences the same thing every day... It's efficient for it, and it does this. It will compress all of those like experiences into one, into sort of the same category, just to save space. Like, you don't, your brain doesn't need to encode watching the same episode of The Office five times. So it doesn't. It's just the same in your head. So the time seems shorter. So maybe you see where I'm going with this, but... The thing to do to combat this is to have new experiences and experience different things. Seek out new experiences and your time will seem a lot longer. Like, I can tell you personally, in the past year or so, I've done a lot of new things. I've moved to a new city. I've met a lot of new people. <laughs> um, I've done a lot of new things. I've been actively trying to put myself outside of my comfort zone. And let me tell you, like, I moved to Portland, Maine. Oh, I shouldn't tell you where I live. <laughs> Portland, I live in Portland, Maine. I don't know where that I is. I don't know where that is. And I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know. Portland, Maine by Tim McGraw. Look it L up. Look it up. It's a great song. It's the only song I know that's about a city and also really indifferent to that city. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I moved to Portland in September and 
it feels like so long since I moved there. Like, it hasn't even been a year. It feels like so, so long. And, yeah, you can definitely it take feel, that to the bank. Feels long in a good way or a bad way? Feels long in a really good way. Because my brain has had so many different experiences it has to remember. So it takes up so much more, like, time space in your brain, which is great. And another thing, this is probably uh, less positive advice, but when you're doing things you don't like, <laughs> like when you're doing really unpleasant things, uh, doesn't time seem to go by more slowly? Mm. <laughs> like, time flies when you're having fun, right? So if you're having too much fun and time is flying, uh, do something that sucks. <laughs> if you ask, like, a prisoner of war, like, how long did that six months seem that you're a prisoner of war? It felt like a really long time. So if you are super at your wit's end looking for a way to make time slow down, you know, just waterboard yourself. <laughs> this is very sound advice. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything to add to that. I think that was a, a good summary of that issue. I could go on about it forever. Yeah. You're... But yeah. Try new things. Switch it up. Try new things or try unpleasant things. <laughs> try new and unpleasant things. <laughs> Um, here's a great question from user, uh, Hedgehog. Uh, it's a hedgehog named Tomatoes. Uh, 10% best answers. That's pretty high. Um, this is a question under society and culture. This question reads, didn't you used to play bass in the putrid puny penises? Jennifer? <laughs> oh man, I wish I could say I did. That sounds like a Stellar. I'm assuming it's a band. I'm, uh, bass? Unless it's unless it's, it's bass and bass, it's, a it's some kind of fishing fish. co-op. <laughs> uh, I mean, that sounds like it was one wild ride after another. Uh, but I don't know how to play the bass. I just don't. What? 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 <laughs> I just realized we've been talking for thirty minutes about. <laughs> Uh, this is going to have to be our last question. <laughs> We're going to have to end on a PPP note, unfortunately, <laughs> folks. Uh, so, no tomatoes. I didn't used to play bass in the putrid puny penises. Thanks hey, for asking. Thank you for asking. I appreciate the question. But uh, what about you, Casey? Um, I, unfortunately, am not the gal you're looking for either. But I hope you find her. Uh, I wonder what they, what, what they played in the PPP. Or maybe they were I, just I a fan. I think they were a fan. I think they were a big fan. <sighs> I hope they find them. I hope they find that bass player. <laughs> bass players are really elusive. They tend to be quiet types. Reclusive. Aloof. Aloof. Oh, so aloof. Bass face. Bass face. <laughs> have you ever seen bass face? No. Bassists like have really weird, unpleasant facial expressions while they're playing. Resting bass face. Resting bass. <laughs> that would <laughs> suck. <laughs> On that note, we're gonna have to peace out of this piece. Uh, let us know if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer. Yeah, for sure. Send them our way. What's our email address? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have some way. We'll figure it out. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll call you. Don't call us. <laughs> yep, exactly. All right. This is Jen and Casey with Chat Ahoochie. Ahoochie.